We need a man to guide us, who'll always be beside us. A man who is a fighter through and through. A man who'll make the White House shine out <laughs> like a lighthouse fine. And Mr. Harding, we've selected you. <laughs> Welcome to episode 29 of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little known facts about every American president. Season 2 is sponsored by Greeks Pizzeria. Place your order today at GreeksPizzeria.com. Gentlemen, what's their saying? It's, it's our, our taste. taste. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined by Blaine Zimmerman and our producer and vice presidential expert, Russ Slivka. Hey, if you want to get episodes early and ad-free, join our Patreon community for 5 bucks a month at patreon.com slash presequential. For 10 bucks a month, you can also get our exclusive bonus episodes on other influential Americans sent to you via email as they are released. Sign up today. Become a patron at patreon.com slash presequential. It's episode 29, guys. Two episodes left in season two. Yes, sir. Blaine, what did we read? What are we calling the episode? And what are we drinking tonight? So we read Warren G. Harding, the American President series by John W. Dean. Mm. And I've always said you can't trust someone with two first names. Yet here we are. It was written in 2004. So yeah. It comes in at 170 pages. Yeah. We'll talk about what we drink after we talk about what we called the episode. And before I describe the name of the episode, I need you to understand who the man of Warren G. Harding was. Okay. He regulated any stealing of this property. And he was damn good, too. Mm. But he wasn't just any geek off the street. He was handy with the steel, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So, naturally, this episode is called the Regulator! <laughs> Let's mount up. Pour one out for Nate Dog, by yeah. the way. That's sad. So because of the teapot dome scandal, this is iced tea and vodka. Mm. <laughs> it's a nice pure leaf brewed tea and some sort of... Deep Eddie. Deep Eddie. Vodka. Is that the name of the vodka? Yeah. It smells so, sweet. There's lemonade in it, too. So they're like a, a John Daly. Oh, that's like an Arnold Palmer with a kick. Yeah, uh, John yeah. Daly. That's really nice. Oh, that's what... The, Thank you. I was, it's like it's Arnold like Palmer, it. but alcoholic. Special thanks also to our mystery alcohol sponsor who's out there. Mm-hmm. We always want to give him a shout out. What do you guys remember about Warren G. Harding from Social Studies? I don't think anything. Nothing? Nothing. Yeah. I, I don't remember anything. I just remember being like he's overall kind of bad. We are 12,135 pages read, boys. First sentence of this book, of the introduction, not mm-hmm. of chapter one. Yeah, of the introduction. You. Yeah. Warren G. Harding is best known as America's worst president. <laughs> <laughs> John W. Dean. That's, that's, wow. that's a wild way to start Ooh. a book. <laughs> well, let's just jump right in, shall we? Warren Gamaliel Harding was born on November 2nd, 1865, on a farm in the small Ohio community of Corsica. He was the oldest of eight children of George Harding, who was a Civil War vet and a farmer who later became a doctor and part owner of a local newspaper. And his mother, Phoebe Dickerson Harding, was a midwife. Uh, Did he have any Corsican brothers? I don't know. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't catch That's that. a deep cut. Cheech and Chong. Yeah. No, I don't know if he did. A lot of presidents from Ohio. Like so many small town boys in post-Civil War Ohio, Harding, along with his five younger siblings, attended a one-room schoolhouse. At age 14, he entered Ohio Central College, where he graduated with a degree in 1882, having achieved some distinction for editing the campus newspaper. <laughs> no, he started it. The Iberia Spectator. I like that the way that you said that made it seem as though his degree field was 1882 oh he graduated with a degree of 1882 yeah yeah Yeah, he did he's really good at that year just a master at it (laughs) just so happens to be this year anything you need to know about 1882 Uh, (laughs) hit me up he started a band after college did you pick that up i haven't huh you were also in a band after college a a man band mouth band the 
Precisely. <laughs> Marion Citizens Band. And his oh, the band, MCB? Yeah, the <laughs> MCB. They eventually got together and bought a newspaper called the Marion Star. Yes, it was a small struggling newspaper. He bought it for about 300 bucks. Which back then was still a lot of money, but it's a lot for one paper. Yeah, like I think they're like a dollar fifty now. It was a daily newspaper too. No, but I I feel like you glossed over the band part. Do we know what he played? Yeah. Do we know what type of music? Probably like a coronet or something. I would assume it's like a barbershop quartet. Like what kind of music? What other kind of music did they have back there besides Lawrence Welk? Because I would assume this is the beginning of his career, 1885. <laughs> and the man is 300 years old, yes. <laughs> All the way from the Finger Lakes. Yes. Uh, Marion Citizens Band. I wonder what Warren played. That's a good question. Sure I is. He doesn't yeah. look like a bass, that's for sure. No. I don't think what he was, um, probably wasn't your, a singer. What's your hero from The Office's name? Oh, Andy Bernard? Yeah. He yeah. was probably whatever that guy was. Yeah. On July 8th, 1891, two years after his uh, degree. Wow. Hold on. We're jumping quickly. Well, we're getting to him to be post-college here. Yeah, but it was like 1884. He went to the GOP convention. When he got home, he found out that the state had taken control of his newspaper. And oh, ever, man. And that he had been fired. Ah, dang it. Of the paper he owned. His father ended up repurchasing it from the state, and they yeah. ended up they did make it into a, uh, a viable newspaper by yeah. 1890. That's not that's not easy to do to make a daily newspaper. I mean, especially, well, especially in, then. Yeah. Like, what did you talk about? I mean, farming reports in Ohio. Yeah, but he made it like it was non-political because he he also didn't really want to do scandalous stories, which is ironic. A little bit of foreshadowing there. Yeah, because we'll talk about that when yeah. he runs. Well, he's twenty-five and he marries a local divorcee, Flossie Mabel Kling <laughs> DeWolf. Flossie. Her real name was Florence, who was five years older than him, and she had a ten-year-old son by her former husband, and she was pretty wealthy. And she pursued Warren relentlessly, and he finally gave in, even though her father once stopped Warren on the street and threatened to kill him if he married his daughter her dad objected to their relationship because there was this rumor going around at the time that warren's family had black ancestors in it you're bearing the lead in newspaper talk her dad started that rumor because he didn't like him that he had come from african-american heritage yeah that's going to come up later too yeah her dad was so upset that he didn't speak to either of them for eight years which is a long time. Not petty. Not petty at all. Looking a little bit forward, we're obviously going to be moving, you're going to be dancing a little bit around with the timeline here, but the Hardings had no children together, and Florence helped manage the business operations for her husband's newspaper, which had become pretty financially successful over the next decade. She later encouraged Warren's political career and once remarked, quote, I have only one real hobby, my husband. So... Harding's Marion Citizens Band gained both local and statewide notoriety, which provided Harding with some money to invest in his future. So we know nothing about the band. Yeah. We just know they made money. Russ, what did, what did you find? Uh, I found a picture oh. of oh. Warren G. Harding's band. Okay. Oh. And I can't tell which one is Warren G. Harding, but he either played the clarinet, uh-huh. the trumpet, or the flute. Okay. I bet you he was playing the clarinet and it was like... There it is. He's like, one day I'm going to sample some Michael McDonald and throw it in this track. <laughs> like, Who's Michael McDonald? Checking it to He's the like, street. don't worry, Yamo be there. Yeah. There's uh, also a bluegrass band called the Warren G. Hardings. Oh, that's fun. Where are they based? Oh, I bet you. Oh, Facebook? Giant nerds. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Ohio, and you just said Facebook. <laughs> well, that's cool. His paper, the the Marion Star, or Marion Sun, what was it called? The Star, yeah. yeah. 
Florence's dad was the richest man in town. She also had a child with the previous man named yeah. Peter DeWolf. And so Amos kicked her out. And then eventually he said he'd raise the boy as his own. Yeah. He really quickly found out he didn't like being married. So he went on a lot of quote unquote business trips. Yeah. Yeah. Round, round, get around. He got around in the words of the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are many words that he described his uh, manhood with that we'll get to later in his letters, in his correspondence. Yeah. He talked to. Yeah. There were euphemisms. This from this book? There were some other sources that I found. Okay, because I was going to say, I would have definitely picked up on that. In his letters, he gave a shout out to Uncle Dick. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the paper became a favorite with Ohio politicians of both parties because Harding was really an even-handed reporter, and he never ran a critical story if he could avoid it. And his employees also loved him because he shared company profits with them, and he never fired a single employee in his entire career as a newspaper man. So people really like this guy. In 1898, he won election to the Ohio Senate as a Republican. He served there for about five years, four or five years. He was Ohio's lieutenant governor from 1904 to 1906, but he lost his bid for the governorship in 1910. Two years later, he stepped into the national spotlight at the Republican National Convention when he gave a speech nominating President William Howard Taft for a second term. Back when he was lieutenant governor, he decided not to run for re-election, which is why it was a little bit of time in between lieutenant governor and governor, because Florence was ill. She had what was known at the time as a floating kidney. Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she had like a it's homeopathic a kidney. She had like a homeopathic doctor too, right? Yeah, it's just in there just being like. <laughs> but then he immediately had sex with his best friend's wife. So. Yeah. Clearly, he cares. Best friend's girl. (laughs) Yeah. She used to be mine. Yeah, he definitely swooped up his best friend's uh, lady. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like. While his wife was just stuck with a floating kidney. (laughs) Like, she's just out to see if he would. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just excited it wasn't Bright's disease. Oh, yeah, that's true. We got a new one. Yeah. Oh, you mean nephritis? We're learning a lot about kidney disease. We're going to talk more about floating kidneys later. Don't worry. Okay. Is there a bluegrass band named the Floating Kidneys? <laughs> I'm sure No, that's there a is. punk band. Oh, yeah. Maybe they just do like ska. Yeah. Stupid up riffs. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate it so yeah, much. I hate it, Scott, too. Anyway, in 1914, he was elected to the U.S. Senate, where he would serve for seven years until becoming president. While he was there, he made him few enemies and many friends. He made stump speeches that were described as a rambling, high-sounding mixture of platitudes, patriotism, and pure nonsense. Mm, that's good alliteration right there. He actually is credited with popularizing the word bloviate. Yes, yes. Have you ever heard that word, Russ? I have not. The really? only place yeah, I that's had up heard your it. alley. Bloviating. Not the act of bloviating, but the word would be up your alley. Bloviate. <laughs> what does it mean? Apparently it was, it was like, you know. oh, okay. it was in general colloquialism back yeah. in the day. <laughs> have we defined it yet? Russ is really well read. To so. blo- <laughs> I should know bloviate. <laughs> <laughs> to bloviate basically means to talk about nothing of substance. For a long period of time. For a long period of time. And it's sort of self-aggrandizing where you really enjoy, you're in on the joke. Sure. Um, oh, I could, see. Yeah, we've he, had presidents like that yeah. recently. Yeah. And the only time that I've ever heard it, I know Bill O'Reilly occasionally will say there's like no bloviating on his show or something, which is Ugh. kind of ironic. Isn't that what his yeah, show he is? Just does it kind of he ironic? Show. Right? Yeah. No, that's ironic. That is that is exactly that is ironic. <laughs> so while he's in the Senate, he continues to have all these affairs. He misses a ton of his sessions. He basically was absent for these key debates on prohibitions, suffrage amendments to the oh, the Constitution. 
And he also served as the keynote speaker and chairman of the 1916 Republican National Convention. So, so basically, had, when he was in the Senate, he wasn't doing much except just getting ready to be president. Well, and he was a partier. Mm. So this is obviously still during Prohibition, mm-hmm. uh, which today, by the way, December 5th, 5th is the day we're recording this, is the anniversary of the end of Prohibition, yeah. 1933. Oh. It was a long time, too. I mean, Oh, yeah, it's way like, longer than people realize. Yeah. Like, I think that in my brain... Until recently when I found out it was FDR that got rid of it. I thought it was like two or three years. It was like 40 years or something crazy like that. Well, I mean, it goes back, what, pre-Benjamin Harrison. And he was before the turn of the century. And it ended in 1933. Nationwide prohibition lasted from 1920 until 33. Uh, so it was 13 Oh, years. it was the temperance movement. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that was back <clears throat> even like Hayes, yeah. Grant. Anyway, cheers to no prohibition. Yeah, um, sure, I'll drink to that. Yeah. Cheers, clink. So he had a, a residence on Wyoming Street in D.C., and it was the oh, Senate party house. That's um, ironic because of the whole Teapot Dome Wyoming scandal that's going to come later. That's why. It's because yeah. a lot of that stuff happened in that. We'll go well, we'll talk about it. So no, tell us about the party. We'll talk about Albert on. Fall. They used to hang out there, and then we're going to talk about a little bit about Edward McLean. McLean? Don McLean, I think, is who you're looking for. Edward Beale McLean. Edward McLean. M C L E A N. Mm. McLean? Is that like McLean, Virginia? Is that where you get. Well, so he owned the Washington Post. Ah. Super rich dude. You know what else he owned? A chimpanzee. The Phoenix Suns. No. The Hope Diamond. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, He yeah, owned yeah. the Hope Diamond. Yeah, he did. I'm sure it worked out great for him. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, yeah. No, no. Oddly enough, his child died. We'll talk more about McLean later in the episode. Okay. Because he's, he's definitely important to this. This episode and a little bit next, but mostly this one. Should we just chill to the next episode? Oh, nice one. <sighs> All right, it's 1920, and it's the Republican National Convention, and delegates are deadlocked over their choice for a presidential nominee. And eventually, they choose Warren G. Harding as a compromise candidate. Calvin Coolidge, the governor of Massachusetts at the time, was selected as his vice presidential running mate. The Democrats named Ohio Governor James Cox, unfortunate last name, as their presidential candidate, and Franklin Roosevelt, the former assistant secretary of the Navy and the future 32nd U.S. president, as his running mate. So, and one of his key things was he had spent, like, the previous three to four years like going toe-to-toe with Wilson on the League of Nations. Yeah. Well, I guess not three to four years, but however long the League of Nations ordeal had lasted yeah. up to that point because it was still on the table at this yeah, point. Yeah, it wasn't like right? 1918, 19 around there. I just think it was 19, but like the League of Nations, yeah. well, the war ended in 19, but like all yeah. the stuff after, which, yeah. which is something we actually never really talked about in Wilson. That's fine. <laughs> was the amount of time he spent in Europe, like going over these oh, debates, yeah. sure. and then having to argue with the Senate to get yeah. them to sign it, and they wouldn't do it. They actually never did. They never. Nope. They never passed it. Never ratified. He was one of the biggest opponents of the League of Nations. Warren G. was. It was Florence who had spearheaded the innovations that not only got her husband elected in 1920, but are still used today. So, namely, the creation of solicitation telephone calls, celebrity endorsements, photo ops, newsreels, radio ads, and direct marketing. So, Florence was really as as a future first lady i mean she had one goal in mind and that is my husband is going to become president so a couple things yeah uh you know what his campaign slogan was no america first oh no like there are no new ideas yeah right (laughs) right i wonder if that got pitched in trump's team and they're like 
actually, sir. Uh, <laughs> that's Warren G. That's that's Warren G. Hardy. Like, I don't know who that is. I, I don't know who the it pitcher. Was, who was that? Well, no, that was Reagan. What? The, there was there's a famous story when Reagan is like going through picking the stuff for his Oval Office, and somebody told him it was Grover Cleveland's desk, <laughs> and he said, "I played him in a movie once," and they were like, "No, that's the pitcher." No, 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 no. We're gonna let that slide. <laughs> Played in the movie once. <laughs> hey, speaking of entertainers, so this is a this is an interesting side story. So have you heard the name Al Jolson? Yes. Okay, so a silent movie star at the time, very known for wearing blackface. Black, oof. Okay, so he agreed to visit Harding's home in Marion. Harding did a lot of on. what? Go ahead. You campaign as a celebrity if it's silent. So are you miming? <laughs> <laughs> like no, you're fake talking, and then someone comes and has like cue cards that oh, they pop yeah. up in and front of you. And there's just a dude playing the piano. <laughs> <laughs> so Harding, he didn't tour the country. He was like, I'm going to stay put in Marion. People are going to come to me. Not true. So Al he, Jolson. He went to Indiana, Iowa, West Virginia, Missouri, Kentucky, Illinois, Oklahoma, New York, Tennessee, Minnesota, Kansas, Pennsylvania, Nebraska, and Wisconsin, and Maryland. However, he called it a front porch campaign. Okay, well, I stand corrected. <laughs> well, I, I only pointed that out because he made a point to say, yeah. like, I'm not going anywhere. But he went to all of the places. <laughs> he, he had to. He couldn't avoid it. He loved the people. Well, Al Jolson agreed to lead a parade down the block in front of Harding's home. He then sang a song, Harding, you're the man for us, which was a hastily prepared melody. Uh, <laughs> so I have no idea how it goes. There were other actors. Do you got uh, lyrics? Do you have lyrics? I, do, I don't. Let's get lyrics. Harding, you're the man for us. <laughs> Let's get lyrics because I want to hear you sing it. <laughs> Fine. I'd like to imagine that he ran yeah. like up because all silent movies seem like they're a little bit faster they speed are. than normal. Yes, they are. And like there was somebody that was trying to vote, but they were somehow tied to railroad tracks oh, and he yeah. had to like divert the train <laughs> oh. to get them to. Yeah, that was that's how he campaigned. Oh, does oh, Russ have the words? Lyrics. Here we go. All Here right, go. Al Jolson. Uh, uh, let's do this to, let's see. Give me a uh, 1970s singer-songwriter. Oh, wow. Don McLean. I could do a... Yeah, yeah do it in the style of, of American Pie. We need a man to guide us. We'll always be beside us. A man who is a fighter through and through. A man who'll make the White House shine. Out <laughs> like a lighthouse fine. And Mr. Harding... We've selected you. <laughs> so it's Warren Harding leading the GOP on to victory. We're here to make a fuss. Warren G, you're the man for us. And then it's like eight more verses. That was fantastic. So great. Thank you very yes. much. Thank that you. Fantastic. Thank you, both of you. All right, so the aftermath of World War One is upon us, and the progressive era is just rampant within the country. And Harding really wanted a return to normalcy. That was his big push that people really liked him saying. This was the first election where women had the right to vote, and he won 61% of the popular vote and 76% of the Electoral College. His 1920 victory remains the largest popular vote margin since the 1820s. So wow. it was up, it was big. Up to that point. Yeah, up to that remain. point. Yeah, but since it's been the 1820s. broken since then. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. His wife Fun fact. Florence. You might have Flossy. Yeah. Flossy. Flossy. You might have been I'm saving Flossy. this for the end, but his Sorry. wife is the very first first lady to ever vote for her husband. Oh, that's cool. Because yeah. obviously, because women yeah. were a lot well, to vote before yeah, that. Um, I wonder if there are any first ladies who didn't vote for their husbands. Uh, Did you tell? Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a couple. Uh, but before he won, she saw a psychic, which 
That's yeah. going to come up again. Yeah. Who said that Harding would win the convention late on Sunday, but would later die in office. Yeah. She never told Warren that. Mm. Both of those things came true. Yeah. The call was coming from inside the apartment. <laughs> Did you talk about the smoke-filled room? No. So that was the Wyoming Street thing, too. So oh, that's how Coolidge became going with this the vice ahead. president. Yeah. And I believe McLean was in on those talks, as was what your boy. Fall. Uh, fall. Albert? Mel? Albert. Mel Fall? Bacon Fall. Mm. Albert Bacon Fall. Did you talk about who James Cox's running mate was? FDR? Yeah. I mean, Did you I, say I that? mentioned it. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So one more thing about the campaign before we dive into his presidency. Yeah. He vowed to not run a smear campaign and say anything negative. However, the Democrats did bring up his African-American heritage. Purported. Yeah. Yeah. As though that were negative. Yeah. And they said that because of his black genealogy... He was unfit to be president, mm. which kind of shows you where we're at yeah. in time. Yeah. So. It was never proven either. I mean, it was no, always just... No, it wasn't true. Yeah. It yeah. was It was not true. Untrue. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. But also, if it was, like... Yeah. So Harding loved other ladies besides his wife. One was a close friend of his wife. Her name was Carrie Phillips. And their affair was proved by a number of love letters that had been sealed for 50 years and were finally released by the Library of Congress back in 2014, written on official Senate stationery. So this is when he was in the Senate. The letters dated between 1910 and 20 offer a glimpse into Harding's randy side. He referred to his penis as Jerry, a code word in case a third party read the correspondence. Well, backfired, Warren, because <laughs> yep. we know what you're talking about. And he elaborated <laughs> on his fantasies involving Miss oh, Phillips' no. pillowing breasts. When Harding won the Republican nomination in 1920, the party allegedly paid Phillips as much as 25 grand back then, or 300k today, to remain quiet about the affair. They sent her off to like Japan. They were like, "Go take a long trip yonder." <laughs> they called it the Orient. They told her she was going to the Orient for sure. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that was a euphemism. Too. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. going off to the, the Orient. Uh, he also called his manhood Mount Jerry, not just Jerry. Oh, God. Mount Jerry. He named it a mountain. <laughs> Knowing that his political and home lives would be ruined by revelations that he adulterously fathered a child, in March 1919, Harding tried to convince another mistress named Nan Britton to terminate her pregnancy. He first offered her a bottle of medication that his wife took. She declined, and on October 22, 1919, she delivered the girl who had been conceived in Harding's office in the Senate office building. She maintained that that Harding had provided child support of 500 bucks a month for her daughter, whom he never met, that was hand-delivered by the Secret Service. The money, not the baby. <laughs> but she had destroyed Secret romance. Secret Service is just acting as housewives, or what they call them. I see you. You're crowning, ma'am. <laughs> I got 10 centimeters. God, anybody got any gloves? Uh, she had destroyed romantic correspondence from him at his request. In 2015, This the plot thickens. Listen okay. to this. Yeah, you're going to. So, DNA. So, at the time, though, we, I, before you get into this, at the time, uh -huh. it was roundly believed that he was sterile. So most people actually yeah. didn't believe that it was his child. And, and including himself and his wife. They were like, no, yeah. it's, it's, we've tried. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> In 2015, DNA sampled from relatives of Harding and Britain's grandson confirmed that Nan, his mistress, was right a century prior. Their daughter, Elizabeth Ann Blasing, died in 2005. She was Harding's only child. Yeah. Kind of interesting. So not there. sterile. Yeah. Very virile. Yeah, because the book said, as far as we know, it wasn't his child because 
he was known to be sterile. But mm-hmm. the book was written in 2004. Correct. So I ended up looking it up and it yep. was 2015. There it is. Let's get him in office. All right. So he takes the oath of office on March 4th, 1921. Harding was the first president to ride to and from his inauguration in an automobile and the first to have his address electronically amplified for the assembled crowd, as well as broadcast <laughs> via radio throughout the country and around the world. That's kind of a big deal with the advent of new technology. The Hardings and their immediate family ate lunch at the White House immediately following the inauguration. The lunch was arranged by outgoing president and Mrs. Wilson following the tradition established in 1889 when President and Mrs. Cleveland invited the Harrisons to eat lunch at the White House before the parade. Who was it planned by? President, well, Mrs. Wilson. Okay. There it is. So he takes office, and the U.S. is in the midst of a post-war economic decline. He followed a predominantly pro-business conservative agenda. He reduced taxes, particularly for corporations and wealthy individuals, and high protective tariffs were enacted, and Thank immigration... God we don't do that anymore. Yeah, and immigration was limited. He wanted <laughs> to... just got disgusted. <laughs> I I do. He like, also had like a soldier bonus thing for the yeah, veterans that came back from the he war. He vetoed it. He uh, vetoed the the veteran right, bonus yeah, bill. It was yeah. and something about the way he vetoed or the reason that he vetoed that, and that's what led to what we know now as the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, the, I can't like remember. the combination of the taxes and the yeah. soldier veto. Right. He named four Supreme Court justices he in did. like this very short amount of time. One of yeah. them being former president. Taft. It's such a crapshoot, right? Yeah. Like he would, he didn't even do a full term and he got four and some do two terms and get zero. Yeah. He often confided in his friends and told them that he felt like the job of the presidency was beyond him. Like he knew that he was in over his head. Oh, it 100% was beyond him. (laughs) Yeah. He was Um, definitely not fit to do this job. But he wanted to name the best men possible to his cabinet. Well, and from what I remember from the book, the four that he named were actually pretty good ones. Yeah. Right? Like, so, you feel like you're going to. So, William Howard Taft, George Sutherland, Pierce Butler, and Edward Terry Sanford. Okay. Which I would assume both George Sutherland and Pierce Butler sound like actors from yeah, the they 70s. Yeah, Pierce Butler definitely sounds Pierce like Pierce Butler, yeah. frankly, my dear. Yeah, I don't yeah. give a damn. Andrew Mellon. Have you heard of Carnegie Mellon? Well, mm-hmm. Andrew Mellon was a very wealthy and famous bank guy secretary in, in of the Pittsburgh. Yep. He was Secretary of the Treasury. Herbert Hoover had already earned an international reputation for his work in feeding the starving millions of Western Europe after World War One. became his Commerce Secretary. I can't wait to talk about him. Yeah, that's going to be great. And then very also exciting. his Secretary of State was Charles Evans Hughes, mm-hmm. who was a former presidential candidate. Uh, More than was really the the ablest of his choices. Yeah, he was a good job. And they all I'm sorry, all, th- all three guys stayed into Coolidge's administration. The ablest. He was the ablest. Like he was against disabled oh, people. God. No, meaning he was the <laughs> he was the best at his job. Got you. Yeah. I thought you were like like he was outwardly against disabled <laughs> people. Ableist. He was an ableist. That's just how progressive you are is that you caught that. <laughs> wow. I award you five woke points. <laughs> Harding signed the Budget and Accounting Act of 1921, which, though it does not seem sexy at the time, it really streamlined the federal budget system, and it established something called the General Accounting Office. So basically... What's not sexy about that? I know. That it, it, it's super exciting. It's a way that the government is trying to hold itself accountable, literally, to as far as the money that's going in and out. Yeah. What's not interesting? Can we dive into that a little bit? Sure. The like, GAO. maybe line by line. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
Harding approved Charles Dawes as the first bureau director with a mandate to cut expenses, and Dawes would become Calvin Coolidge's vice president in time. He also hosted a successful naval disarmament conference from the world's leading countries. So is that your in, the end of your thing about his cabinet? Do you have take. any more cabinet people no, in there? No, no, no. Interesting piece about his cabinet. They yeah. were all affirmed in 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the ones you've named, most people that are even remotely interested in history have heard of most all of those yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Like, even if you don't know exactly what they did, you're like, yep, that name sounds yeah, I've heard familiar. that name somewhere. Yeah. Dawes, Hughes, Mellon, mm-hmm. Hoover. Hoover. Yeah. 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 15 minutes, huh? 15 minutes. I wonder why it was so quick. There was, they were trying to get a car insurance quote? I don't know. Trying to get up Mount Jerry. Well, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I want to have a euphemism for my Jerry. <laughs> Let's speed this up. Every like middle school history teacher that listens to this is like, come on, guys. Like, oh, ne- you know I can't play this in the class now. <laughs> also, good joke. Like, sorry. Sorry, Mr. Blemke. Sorry. Why does the name Eugene V. Debs mean it? Because we were supposed to do a bonus episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We never did. Socialist. America's yep. really first socialist. Kind of invented unions. And he got like a million votes from jail. From yeah, jail. No, yeah. nine, well, 900,000, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, give or take. Well, Harding <laughs> officially pardoned him that same year. So that was, I think, 1921. He also um, pardoned everybody else that was arrested for sedition during World War I, mm. um, unless their crimes were violent. And it was very yeah. similar to what we'll see in the 50s and... Yeah, McCarthyism a, and all a lot. Well, it was a lot of like fear mongering. Oh, yeah. all these socialists, they're really going to burn cities down and stuff like that, when in yeah. reality they were just like, kind of meeting yeah right <laughs> it was so they were all getting arrested and stuff then there were very few i think there were like two that were actually violent like protests and i think there were an additional two or three that were staged uh with actual bombs mm. to make it look like socialists huh. had done it and they were actually not well debs had been arrested for speaking out against world war one and by the way it was known as the great war at the time it was not world war one now yeah. retroactively we hindsight noticed. you know yeah. they didn't know and he'd been sent to jail for more for 10 years. As a condition for the pardon, Harding insisted that Debs come to the White House after yeah. being released from jail so the two men could meet. Huh. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Like, I'm not just going to change your life, but I, let's let's talk. But yeah. And, I mean, it was a very progressive thing for him to do. The concept of having a socialist, in the, like an actual socialist, not like a Democrat yeah. that everybody's like, he's a socialist. Like, yeah. He was a legit socialist. Yep. Ooh. Harding also spoke out against desegregation. There was once a, a crowd of like 30,000 that was a segregated crowd, and he spoke about the need for integrating. And he spoke Okay, so out. then he did not speak out against desegregation. Give me that again. What did I say? You said he spoke out against desegregation, which would mean he's pro-segregation. Oh, I'm sorry. He spoke out for desegregation. Okay. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I was going to uh, say, like, you. we were, no, things no, 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 were going no. well. He spoke out against, <laughs> yeah, right, right. He spoke out against lynchings, against black Americans, and unlike his predecessor, Wilson, he ordered desegregation in the White House and all of D.C. He was there at the University of Alabama, sir, where in 30,000 people in a segregated crowd, he spoke to them on the virtues of racial equality and the evils of segregation. In Alabama in the in 20s. Alabama. How did that go? In, in the 20s. They they hated it. Oh, but but the the black portion of the crowd loved it. I mean, they yeah, were like sure. I mean, yeah. just, and then a lot of them got beat up later that day. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I'm positive. Oof, Alabama. Yeah. We're still going to be talking about Alabama through I mean, LBJ. Now? Now? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, but like Kennedy, LBJ, Eisenhower a little bit, I think. No, that was Arkansas. 
Little Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Never mind. Getting a little ahead of ourselves. You said he was a strong opponent to the League of Nations, and because of his opposition, the treaty was not really ratified, which meant that World War One had not officially ended. There was another guy too that was like super, super vocal against it. There was another guy that was probably more, and I can't remember who it is. He capitalized off of it. There was the other dude was like legitimately ready to physically have an altercation yeah. with <laughs> with Wilson. Well, early in his term, a joint resolution was passed to officially end the war because the treaty was not really ratified. So you want to take a break? Yeah. Let's take a little bit of a break. Let's get a refill on our drinks. And we really appreciate you listening to the Presidential Podcast. This is episode 29, The Regulator. We'll see you soon. Blaine, you look different. Did you get a haircut? Oh, I did. Thanks for asking. Oh, it looks nice. People have been noticing more often since I've started going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Say that one more time. Uh, people have noticed more often since I've been going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Chop Chop. Yeah. It's this super cool, very clean spot over by 16th and College area. Oh, yeah. 16th and Yandis, if you will. Okay, I will here uh, in Indy. Yeah, it's super cool building, old school style barbershop. Anthony always fades me up well. He leads this diverse team of three other barbers. All three of my kids get their haircuts there. Even my wife gets her haircut. Oh, they there. do ladies cuts yeah, too. From, you know, fades to braids and everything in between. I love that. And if I want more info, where could I go? I would check out personally chopchopbarbers.com. Okay, chopchopbarbers.com. From fades to braids to kitty cuts to the coolest barbershop there is. I don't want to look bad. So I'm going to go to Chop Chop Barbershop. Yeah. yeah. Doop, doop. Yeah. Hey, welcome back, friends. We hope that that break was as enjoyable for you as it was for us. We are on episode 20. 20 Twenty-nine. Regulators. You regulate any stealing of his property. I feel like I already did this. <laughs> I did this on my own. I don't know exactly what's happening. Oh yeah. I'm Michael McDonald. All right, that's probably enough before we get sued. I keep forgetting. I love Michael uh, McDonald. What was his middle name? E- Gamaliel. Uh, what? Gamaliel. G a m a l i e l. Gamaliel. Gamaliel. So this is. Oh, he was the bad guy in the Smurfs. No, that was Gargamel. <laughs> okay. Good one. Yeah. Or the Solid ep- Smurf reference, Blaine. <laughs> the Epic of Gilgamesh, if you've heard of that. I have that heard was, of that. Yeah. Yeah. So Gamaliel, it was a family name within the Harding Tree, as I understand it through the other research. But Gamaliel was a rabbi in the Christian scriptures. I always like to call it that in front of Ross instead of the New <laughs> Testament. <laughs> Yeah, you do have a lot of questions. We just explained the concept of a parable to him. But Gamaliel was actually... New Testament inception. I knew what a parable was. (laughs) (laughs) He urged caution amongst the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish court. I know we're talking about presidents, but now we're talking about New Testament stuff. But Gamaliel was kind of the voice of reason where they were just like... Right out of the break. Off the rails of (laughs) (laughs) GTS. Anyway, it's in Acts 5 if you want to learn more about it. <laughs> so, so check that out. Yeah. It sounds like Acts 5 sounds like it should have like law and order music. Acts 5. Warren G. Harding's time in office was marked by numerous presidential scandals, which are 
still considered actually pretty bad by today's yeah. standards. I would, though, I would yeah. say so. So most notorious of those was the Teapot Dome scandal in which his Secretary of the Interior, Albert Fall, sold oil rights on federal land and profited personally to the tune of $400,000 or basically $5 million in today's language. So let's come back to that. So hold on, back, back in the day, let me just describe yeah. really what was going on. So this was a shift from coal to oil. All right. So the Navy was running on oil now. And they thought, we need to protect a lot of land in the event that another war breaks out. We need to make sure that our Navy can run. So this is pre-concept of just invading. Correct. (laughs) So they basically said we need to reserve some strategic oil fields, which they did in Teapot Dome, Wyoming, was one of them. So they put a dome over it. They put a dome right over the top of it. It was like a geodesic dome. Consider was Daniel Day. It was the geodome. (laughs) I'm finished. I'm going to drink your milkshake. (laughs) I drink your milkshake. I'm finished. God, what a good movie. So good. What a good movie. Daniel. So basically, drink it up. The Secretary of the Interior, instead of playing by the rules, he basically approaches two contractors and says, hey, I'm just going to give you rights to drill into this, which is federally protected, if you give me $400,000. And they're like, sounds pretty good. Well, I think this is a good time to bring Russ in because this is what you wanted to talk about, right? Yeah. Because yeah. we're not going to talk about his VP because that's next episode. Yeah. Calvin yeah. Coolidge was his VP. Russ, and- come on in here, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Calvin Coolidge was his VP and... You know, it was a short stint and it was fairly boring. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's, that'll that's come saying up next, something. Next episode. Yeah. The Secretary of the Interior was Albert Bacon Fall. Mm-hmm. Bacon yeah, was his middle name. Not yeah. kosher. That's not at all. No, no. What no. kind of middle name is that? Like Cloven hooved one. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have uh, milk. Okay. You can't have a, you can't boil a calf in its mother's milk. Is that yeah. Oh, we had this no conversation last week. No shellfish. We were talking, they're no fine. They're not okay with milk. And beef because it's the the milk of the mother with the child, correct? But you're completely fine with like egg battered chicken, as far as I know. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Ooh, yeah. So that took a turn. Well, yeah. but you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like those sure. two things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you, the, the mother can't Kashrut? be cooked. Is that what's oh, The mother can't be cooked with the child, but the child can definitely be cooked with the mother. I mean, it was really, you know, cows. <laughs> they didn't really care about chickens. cows, goats. I mean, goats, yeah. cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got it. I mean, anything doesn't matter. My thing is, like, where are you where you're getting shrimp, though, back then? Well, like, wandering the desert. When the, the, ocean? the Dead Sea? Yeah, man. Remember, they split it. Hmm. Yeah. They were probably just walking by grabbing it. Yeah. Like, and oh, getting very shrimps. sick, I imagine. Shrimp, they're like, though. don't eat that. There's not a lot of crabs, <laughs> yeah, that's though. True. Like yeah. in, in probably Egypt. Were they, that's probably what it was. Yeah. They, were, they ate, like, sea don't, fish. Yeah. Somebody got super sick. They're like, or, like, one of them were hey allergic. Hey, guys, we don't have refrigeration. <laughs> don't eat pork. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty clear. Well, yeah, Moisha, you just bit the crab. <laughs> you have to cook it first, yeah. idiot. Yeah. I, I mean, it's pretty clear why those yeah. rules were set up. Yeah. Like, we don't we don't eat the sea bugs. So, Albert Bacon Fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to history. Street. Yeah. yeah, the U.S. senator from New Mexico. He was actually born in Kentucky. And wow. how do you get ah, from yeah. Kentucky to New Mexico? Well, Oregon there's Trail. a reason. Is because he worked in the cotton mills when he was 11, and Oof. yeah, because of that, he developed respiratory illness. Oh. And in imagine. order for him to, you know, oh. move to a drier climate, yeah. he continually like moved west. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. JFK going Just to like Arizona. JFK. Yeah. 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 Maybe that was JFK's influence. Or Albert Bacon could have been, or like my great 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 grandfather, 
Ooh, Open to Arizona. Up. Yeah, he mm-hmm. worked for Lassie in Arizona. Oh, I found out. He was a bank robber. I found yeah. out. I, oh, yeah. Things I've find, found oh, out so recently. Cool. Hey, it's first of all, before we dive too much into yeah, that yeah. and that, yeah. uh, can we talk about our mustaches right now? <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. So all three of us have mustaches, and sure uh, that's the story. Uh, Russ, back to you. <laughs> yeah, I have a mustache Bacon. for a brief period it's, of time. It's so Great. fantastic. Oh, you man. pull it off well. That's not true. You'll see the pictures. You look great. great. That mouth brow looks fantastic. You know what? You. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Albert Bacon. Follow. Albert Bacon, hmm. a senator from New Mexico. Okay. He was also on the Supreme Court in hmm. New Mexico. And he was the captain of the infantry in the Spanish-American War. So he had okay. quite a bit of... That doesn't make any sense. He was a captain. <clears throat> he in... was a captain in the infantry. He wasn't captain. There's no of... such thing. You're the captain, captain of the flag football team of Santa Fe. Well, but you guys, the captain is a hell elevated rank. The Navy. Why do you point <clears throat> to me and say you guys? Because <laughs> you're a naval person. He was. Let me correct myself. He was the captain in the infantry in the Spanish American War. Does okay. that make sense? Right, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying like in the army, in the infantry, like yeah. captain is not a very high rank. Got it. Yeah. He was also a lawyer in New Mexico, mm-hmm. and he had a neighbor named Oliver Lee. And Oliver Lee was the, man, he was like the stereotypical um, villain in any kind of Western, oh. any oh, kind of young guns. To, yeah. Um, he was. Railroad tracks. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you see. He, he really Moving was. At one and a half times speed. <laughs> he, he was like. <laughs> He was a, a, a cattle rustler. Mm. He would he had like hired gunmen who goons. would go out goons. Yeah, yeah. He like twirled his mustache Man. a lot. He was Dick Dastardly, for oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Hiding out in caves. Uh, Wario. For for those of you that don't know who Dick Dastardly is, it's basically Wario. Yeah. Tie the female to the railroad tracks kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. 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 Twirly yeah. mustache. Dog. Dog. <laughs> yeah. What was his name? It's like Pugsley or something, yeah. but it's not Pugsley. Anyway, I don't know. You didn't watch that? I mean, I kind of know who you're talking about. It was yeah. Rocky and Bullwinkle, right? Yeah, it was like yeah. a race, the oh, great yeah. race, okay, the great right, something. Yeah, he had a helmet on. Is that like the Barbera. It was. Oh yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. I feel like those kind of sucked. Welcome, millennials. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a lawyer for a notorious cattle wrestler who would take other people's cattle and then adjust the brand on them to make it look like it was his. Oh, yeah. That's where we get the term branding from. It is. You that, actually that makes brand sense. the cow to say this is my cow. Yeah. Also, barbed wire had a certain uh, like think like certain barbed wire. You could tell whose farmer's land really? was based on their barbed wire. Yeah. <laughs> but you would brand the cow, and that's where we get branding from. Yeah. Now. And he would so he would change that brand to make uh-huh. it look like his. Like oh. you know, you come home with a report card and you change the yeah the, the B into a or whatever or the, the F D into, into a B. an A yeah. yeah. That's yeah, yeah. dastardly. <clears throat> so this is the guy's neighbor, Oliver A-F. Lee. Oliver Lee. Okay. And then another cattleman. Okay. Yeah. Owned a lot of land in New Mexico. Uh, his last name was Fountain. It was Albert Fountain. Okay. And Albert Fountain yeah. directly in court called out Lee. Oliver. Okay. Yeah. He was like the one guy to stand up and say, "This those guy are, is." Those are my cows. Exactly. Yeah. So and I can um, prove it. <laughs> And he did. I mean, mm. he challenged Lee in court, and then there would have been repercussions, except that Fountain and his eight-year-old son just disappeared. Oh. And obviously, Lee was the well, number was one accident. suspect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was, yeah. Well, no, there was an accident. He went deaf. And then he... <laughs> 
I drink out of your Oh, there it is. Okay, I got it. He disappeared, and then Lee was charged, and Fall was his attorney and got him and his gunmen off. Huh. Because there were no bodies found. Sure. Right? But what's interesting... Well, then how do they know he was shot? You said gunmen. Like, they just... No, no, that was their job. Their job... I'm a gunman. They were his gunmen. They were his goons. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they were not. They didn't necessarily were proven to be gunmen in this particular situation. Like, yeah, but real young guns too. I feel yeah, like this is kind of like a bonus episode within an episode. It really is. I really yeah. like it. Speaking Here's, of bonus episodes, if you want them, become a ten dollar a month patron at Patreon. <laughs> Com, Russ, continue. He also defended Jesse Wayne Brazel. Okay. Who was accused of killing Pat Garrett, the sheriff that supposedly killed Billy the Kid? Okay, yeah, huh? And cowardly, yeah, because he shot him in the back back, as he was looking at something like on his fireplace. If I remember the movie correctly, I think so. Okay, that sounds right. This is all Albert Fall. It is. It's Brad Pitt. He plays him in that movie. So the Secretary of the Interior under Harding was really involved in the Wild West as a lawman. As a lawyer. A lawyer. Yeah, he was a, a lawyer law- defending. Yeah. I bet he had one of those weird ties. Like a bolo? A bolo? No. Okay. Not like a bolo. Like a bow tie. Uh, like it, like it's a... almost like a bow tie, but with really long tails. Okay. Oh, like I a magistrate's yeah. tie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I like bet you he wore a tie like that. Yeah, fancy. Yeah. Not quite an ascot. He supposedly killed Pat Garrett when Pat Garrett was on the trail trying to figure out who murdered the fountains. Huh. I feel like Pat Garrett is the name of Albert like a, Fall did? like a punter. Um, One of Albert guys he Fall defended. defended and got the guy off who supposedly killed Pat Garrett huh. when Pat Garrett was on the trail of figuring out Pat who Garrett. killed the fountains. This sounds a, like he would have been a very good uh, football player for Notre Dame I, in like nineteen sixty. I said he sounded like a punter. Let's yeah. come up with other occupations for Pat Garrett. <laughs> Go. What else uh, could he have done? Uh, uh, I'm union uh, president. Okay. Uh, he could sell you. Ah, uh, Pat Garrett. He could sell you an umbrella policy for flood, hurricane, oh, and fire insurance. In New Mexico. Yeah. What Nobody else? Nobody thinks game show host? <laughs> what else? Pat Garrett? Weatherman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Weatherman. Weatherman. Oh, oh weatherman. weatherman for sure. Pat now Garrett. let's check in with the weather with Pat Garrett. Pat hey, Garrett. It's going to be a 30% <laughs> chance of storms. Might want to pack that umbrella. It's backed up on the I 5 today. Yeah. Oh, he does traffic too. Well, oh, you have fine. to. The weatherman also. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, Russ. Let's let's continue this though because this yeah, is pretty so, riveting. Yeah, I mean it. It kind of leads into the Teapot Dome scandal that you already started talking about. Yeah. Another thing about uh, Albert Fall was he was a leading Democrat at the time, and when Woodrow Wilson was in a ever incapacitated, incapacitated yeah. for a long period of time, yep. he was allowed to actually see Woodrow Wilson, which a lot of people didn't have yeah. the opportunity to do. So I he was that. allowed to do that. Yeah. And he said... His vice president didn't know. Yeah, Yeah. his vice president did not know. But he was permitted to visit Wilson, kind of in hopes to gauge his condition to see if he was still able to hold the office, perform his duties. Wow. And he said, I've been praying for you, sir. And then Wilson replied, which way, Senator? Meaning... Did you want me alive? Oh, Did you want me oh, dead? Oh, I see. To which fall, you know, laughed. Picked up a pillow and put it in his face. <laughs> yeah. Just about to say that he's like, yeah, basically, stay right basically. there, sir. <clears throat> um, that, that was Woodrow Wilson, Wilson under underneath a pillow. the pillow. Oh, yeah. 
That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? That was so yeah. condescending. <laughs> I mean, it sounded just like him. No. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Bless your heart. I yeah. love that for oh, you. Bless your heart. And then he was appointed Secretary of the Interior. And that's kind of a step down, though. When you're, uh, what was he in Wilson's cabinet? He or was he know. a senator? He was more. Than he was a senator. Okay. So yeah, he a was a Democratic up. senator. Yeah. And then he got in with the Ohio gang, and yeah. he that allowed him to be pulled into the cabinet. We're the Ohio gang, you see. <laughs> You're one with your own when company's expected. From West Side Story, anybody? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like the New they York City that. Romeo and Juliet. I know Irvin, musicals. Yeah, Irving Berlin. Yes, Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You already Steven touched Sondheim, on it. Leonard Bernstein. He just died. Yeah, Sondheim died. Yeah, he did. Hmm. Sorry, New Mexico uh, fall. <laughs> People are like <laughs> five months ago. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> he was appointed Secretary of the Interior, and the minute he did that, he pushed to have the Office of the Interior be in charge of certain naval reserves. So oh. the Elk Hills, the Buena Vista, yep. the Teapot Dome, yep, Wyoming. There in Wyoming. And then the minute he got that, he That's gave... That's right, because it was under naval control. And he's exactly. like, eh, let's get it under the interior. Yeah. yeah. And then he immediately took bribes in order to yeah. allow his friends to then drill on that land. He ilked them. Do you remember how he got caught? No. So McLean... McLean, Hope Diamond yeah. guy. Hope Diamond. He is the one that came out and said he gave him the loan. Uh, he said oh, that, no, 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 none of that was a bribe. I gave him a $100,000 loan. Huh. And then they basically cornered him and they were like, hey, you realize what you're doing is perjury. Like you were subpoenaed right now and what you're doing is, is perjury. And so he was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. It was definitely a bribe. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's known as being like the smoking gun. Like they literally didn't have anything to convict uh, fall hmm. if it weren't for McLean because like they didn't actually know he was perjuring himself yeah. they yeah. just used it as a tactic and he had at that point his son had died because they owned the Hope Diamond which is cursed yeah and yes. I think his wife had divorced him by then the Washington Post I think he had sure. to sell it like he was not in a great spot and he was like you know what I'm tired of lying yeah I, I didn't loan him anything like he was bribed it was we we hang out all the time I actually watched yeah. the bribe happen <laughs> And the people yeah. were like beside themselves because they were like, wait, what? Like, will you please say that on record? Right. He's like, yeah, that's fine. So the Hope Diamond owner guy is the whole reason. that Because the, literally, if he wouldn't have said it, I think they were voting on it like the next day. Mm-hmm. Fall would have got away scot-free. Mm-hmm. And now, instead of that, Fall is the first elected official to go to federal prison, correct? I know it was the first cabinet member. Oh, okay. First cabinet member of a federal prison. Yeah, and he went to federal prison for, I think it was like a year. But one of the reasons he went was Edward Delaney Delaney, Mm -hmm. was one of those that bribed him in order to get land rights. Yeah. And Fall was sentenced to prison, and then Delaney was acquitted of bribery. So when Fall got out of jail and went back to his land in New Mexico, yeah. he found out that Delaney's corporation had foreclosed on his ranch in New Mexico hmm. due to unpaid loans. Those unpaid loans 
was the $385,000 bribe that he had taken. So he lost his ranch because he didn't pay back the bribe. It's terrible. Yeah, so he's totally screwed. He's like, he doesn't have a place to hang out, and he's out $385,000. And then a few years later, he died. Uh, Teapot Dome, you can still see if you Google it. Like, it's this rock out there in Wyoming that looks like a teapot. and uh, There's no oil underneath anymore. No, because I suck it from your milkshake. There was another separate scandal. Russ. Russ, thank you. Hey, anytime. As always. And the reason why you didn't cover the VP is because he's coming up next with Calvin Coolidge. We're going to dive into him. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So there was a separate scandal. Charles Forbes, head of the Veterans Bureau, who embezzled millions of dollars and he sold medical supplies for personal gain. And he ignored tens of thousands of applications for aid from U.S. servicemen who had been injured in the Great War. After resigning from office in disgrace, Forbes, so he's again, basically the precursor to the VA. Well, I mean, he was the head of the Veterans Bureau, yeah. So it hasn't changed at all. So Forbes resigns, and he visits Harding in the White House, and the president grabs him by the throat and attempted to choke him to death. Hell yeah. So Forbes managed to escape with his life. Is this the same guy that has the magazine now? Producer Russ, could you please look up if Charles Forbes is, is in Forbes, any way attached like to Forbes magazine? Steve Forbes. Right? Steve Torbs. Oh, it's Steve Forbes? Steve yeah. Torbs. Okay. What did you just say? Steve that's, Torbs. That's the Icelandic version. It's an, it's an SNL skit. Oh. So Forbes managed to escape with his life thanks to the intervention of the next visitor on the president's calendar that day. But he wound up spending the next couple of years in Leavenworth Prison. So Harding. In Missouri. Correct. I what? thought it was Kansas. No, it's in Missouri. Leavenworth. Uh, Maybe it's Kansas. I don't know. Is, is there a difference? I think it Flyover might states. be Kansas. <laughs> Flyover states. Oh, We're Wood. from Indiana. Lin- <laughs> Leavenworth, Leonard, Kansas. Yes, Leonard Wood is in Missouri. Okay, Blaine. I get the wires crossed quite a bit. Tell us about, you had one where another another scandal. So uh, I would say Harding's that the Veterans Administration Scandal was the first one. The Teapot Dome was the third one. Yeah. The second one was Jesse Smith. I think it's Jesse. Yeah, it has to do about like selling booze to bootleggers, right? I can't read. Yeah, Jesse Smith. He was selling government booze to bootleggers. And Harding found out about it and shut it down. But then Smith was found dead in his apartment that they called a suicide. However, at the same time, all of his papers were burned. No autopsy was ever performed. That's shady. So that's really shady. Yeah, yeah. It was the original Smith didn't kill himself. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is very Clintonian. Yeah. You know, reading between the lines because it was a really small part of the book. I think we're supposed to assume that Harding knew way more about this and realized it was yeah. much more damaging, or this guy knew more about Harding and had more damning evidence, and so yeah. he was killed, um, but made it look like a suicide. I, as we're talking about Warren G. Harding's scandals, I can't help but think about... I feel like we've talked very little about Warren G. Harding. <laughs> well, it's okay. I mean, good gracious. In the big scheme of, you know, the history of the country, like, he's he is kind of the Kansas of presidents. Or well, as the them. book says, he's widely known as the worst <laughs> the president, worst. which I would say absolutely not. But, but definitely in the bottom, what, seven? I think, you know, Grant's scandals come to mind as well as we're talking yeah, about Harding's. Grant's Grant, scandals Grant were like people that way less he was aware literally in rooms with. Like, yeah. there were people that were adjacent to him yeah. from other sides of the country. Like, these are people that he was having drinks with every single night. Yeah, playing poker with. Yeah, and, yeah like, there's no with. way he didn't know. And he would booze. I mean, even though Prohibition was going on. I mean, he was... <laughs> no, it wasn't yet, right? Or it had just started at the beginning of his presidency. I mean, he was drinking Prince. when it wasn't... Because well, you said it started in 1920, right? 
Did I? 20 to 33. I said Yeah, it. so yeah. his election was 1920. So it would have kicked off at the end of Wilson's... But I'm well, saying Edith, he's... Edith would have started at Prohibition. Edith definitely started Prohibition. So yeah, marked by scandal, largely, in a brief amount of time. One of the things that he did, actually, that was kind of cool, he was part of the dedication of the Lincoln Memorial. So Chief Justice William Howard Taft dedicated the Lincoln Memorial in D.C. on May 30th, 1922, and presented it to President Harding, who accepted it on behalf of the American people. President Lincoln's only surviving son... You present a giant freaking building with (laughs) a 50-foot statue in it, like, thank you very much, I will take this home... President Lincoln's only surviving son, 78-year-old Robert Todd Lincoln, was Run. in attendance. Oh, oh. Man, and seriously. then what happened? Did the president die? No, no, no. Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. This this is Every not... Every president that Robert touches yeah, he dies actually said, in office. don't invite me to presidential things. Yeah, and Yet he was there, and he was this there. president died in yeah. office. One of the downsides of that dedication ceremony... Was prom- that Robert was there. <laughs> Prominent black Americans were invited at the event and discovered upon arrival that they were assigned a segregated section guarded by U.S. Marines. Yeah. Right? What? Yeah. Guarded? Guarded. To keep them from leaving or people from getting in? I don't know. But, yeah, I can so many things. 1922. Well, it's the summer of 1923, and the Hardings embarked upon a journey that they called the Voyage of Understanding, which was a (laughs) cross-country speaking tour that included stops in Alaska. Faced with impending personal and political scandals, Harding was trying to rehabilitate his chances for re-election, but the GOP had lost total faith in him. However, they had taken a liking to the idea of running the first ever female president. Florence, his smart and ambitious wife, who had really been the star of the show during his brief two years as POTUS, was the one that they might have been eyeing to run for that position. But more after that. Hey, we're going to take a brief break. You're listening to episode 29 of the Presequential Podcast. Hey, guys, it's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were 16 and we almost hit a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson writing a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready, ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your order set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. 
Welcome back, friends. We're so glad that you are with us for episode 29, The Regulator. Mount up. Mount up. We talked about the voyage of understanding that the Hardings were on <laughs> yeah. out, there, out there in Alaska. Well, this, there was... Was this his way to, like, his hall pass? Well, this, this is... This is the voyage of understanding, babe. Remember? Remember, this is the <laughs> right? voyage of understanding. That's, that's what we're calling it. So it's it. okay, like, if I meet some random Oregonian. Oh, uh, man. Oregon is such a beautiful state, by the way. It's very weird. It's I, fun. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Well, anyway. I actually, I met the designer of Field Notes. In Portland. The maker yeah. of the notebooks that you use all your notes for for yeah. this podcast. Aaron Draplin. I met him. I bought notebooks from him in Portland. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love these notebooks. Yeah. There were signs that something was amiss with the president early in this trip. He tried to play golf on <laughs> July 26th, but he was so tired that he could only manage a couple of holes. He fumbled during a speech the following day. Which, as a golfer... Like, you've got to be really tired to only play a couple holes of golf. Because, yeah. like, it's not hard. It's not hard. It's, it's not, it's it's not taxing. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's outside. Well, he fumbled during a speech the following day, mistakenly calling Alaska Nebraska, and he clutched the podium for balance. <laughs> Clutch my podium. He became ill later that night, which his doctors blamed on spoiled seafood. August oh, 2nd. Oh, hey, there it is. on the trip. Bringing yeah. it back. On August 2nd, 1923, the 57-year-old president died suddenly at the Palace Hotel in San Francisco. His last words were, that's good. Go on. Read some more. His wife, Florence, had been reading him an article about himself from the Saturday Evening Post. He was the sixth president to die in office and the shortest serving president of the 20th century. Doctors declared a stroke the cause of death and per his wife's wishes, he was embalmed just an hour later. The rush to embalm combined with Florence's refusal to allow an autopsy or even a death mask raised more than a few eyebrows. A death mask? Yeah. I'm sorry. Do you know what a death mask is? I, mean, I have you know no what idea what a death mask is. So, I mean, they have one of Teddy Roosevelt, your boy. I mean, you can look it up. Okay. You, you, so it's very literal. Yeah. I mean, I mean, someone comes out and they make a plaster or, I don't a know. Paris? How, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. But they basically, they're like, they shove. It's like, ah, oh, he's dead. All right. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Let's just shove some clay on his face. And huh. then sometimes it's like made into bronze after that. Anyway. Is it because they didn't have good enough artists to just make the bust? I don't know. It's a good question. A death mask. A death mask. It's kind of a... I don't know if it's... It's obviously not a thing that, anymore, but... That definitely sounds like some really stupid Hollywood movie. Yeah, yeah. Like the Per <laughs> 6 death mask. Death mask. <laughs> well, anyway, Florence engaged in really suspicious behavior after his death. She went through his papers and destroyed a wealth of letters and mm-hmm. correspondence. So it was a little shady after he died. Do you... Th- well... Go ahead. Okay. What? Let's talk about that a little bit. I'd yeah. Be interested to hear your Let's open feedback. it up with all three of our mustaches. Let's talk <laughs> about it. Here we go. Go. Do you think that that is to save him? Or do you think that that could have been to save herself? Yeah. Because she That's knew. A good question. She I, I, knew what his philandering was. And she wanted to make sure. Like, she wanted to be publicly embarrassed when all this got out. I think if I'm Florence Harding, my identity is wrapped up in my husband. Sure. And so if I am trying to preserve or actually create a story, a new narrative, mm-hmm. I'm kind of creating my own narrative. Yeah. Well, and this goes on for a long time, right? Didn't she have political ambitions? Well, well according to Ryan. She, well, it's he, not he made that up today on the spot. I did. You're right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the way to Alaska, she's like, I'm going to be president. And they were like, sit down, dame. Yeah. 
Yeah, Broad's never going to be president, see? <laughs> but you've got boobies. <laughs> you've got gumption. I like that, see? I like it, but maybe let's wait a hundred years. Yeah, yeah uh, but... Um, so this went on for a really long time. So a lot of like historians and people in Ohio had tried to get official paperwork and things like that. Yeah. Obviously, she had burned a lot of it, which made it hard. Which, but I mean, if you go all the way back to... It turned out she didn't to, burn all of it. She, she, yeah. she saved a ton of it, and the yeah. family kept it very close to the vest and didn't want even historians yeah. getting a hold of it. Yeah. They didn't give it out to create the presidential library or historical site in Ohio yeah. until like 1960, right? Yeah, yeah, long time. I mean, you I'd be even... interested to talk to the Charlie Hyde of the Warren G. Harding place because of that. Charlie, because if they're you haven't probably heard, still... If you haven't heard episode 23, the director of the Benjamin Harrison home, that's mm-hmm. who you're referring to. So, Are, go ahead. Sorry, are these the Jerry letters? No, no. Like... All of his, all of his writing, all of his books, like anything associated with him in the house, the family would not release to the public. So there was no like historical Harding monument, library, home, anything yeah. wow. until like the 1960s, because the family was so concerned with his maybe legacy is not the right word. Well, we'll his, get to that. His reputation. Yeah, yeah sure. And how people were going to perceive him. We're going to unpack that. I, in a, I think in a, in a little bit. Got yeah. it. In yeah. my opinion, yeah. that's not the best way to do it. Yeah. Right? Like, if you're going to keep everything super close to the vest, then all it's going to look like is you're hiding something. Yeah. And what can we learn, right? Like, mm. no matter, even if it's embarrassing, I get it. It's a family member. But even if it's embarrassing and they're a public figure, like, what can we learn to be better as not only, like, maybe a country as a whole, but as individual humans? From things yeah. that we learned from this dude. And you're keeping it close to the vest and won't let us learn from it. Yeah. I mean, you could trace it all the way back to Martha Washington, right? Burning letters of correspondence. Mm. I mean, this is not necessarily every now, first lady the, has done this. But that's but, a little bit different because like personal letters back and forth. Yeah. I don't know that we're going to glean a lot of information from that. Like yeah. we might learn a little bit more about him as a private human. But do we need to know that? Sure. Or do we need to know like his principles as a leader? They kept everything. It wasn't just yeah. personal correspondence. It was everything. Yeah, but what do people care about? I mean, you, you want to learn. See. You want to learn about. Yeah. You know um, him as a leader. I guess that's Blaine. I mean, that's admittedly that's, that's the lens that you look through. And yeah, yeah, character. I mean, yeah. character is the lens I look through. They're yeah. curating the narrative, right? Sure. Like, yeah. It, it but took them a while. When but. you're curating it that uh, aggressively. It's never going to yeah. look possible. It all looks like, suspicious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so it's August 3rd, 1923. And, and now I guess I say that. There's very clearly probably Harding family members still alive. Oh, absolutely. Because if they kept the thing that close to the vest, that family yeah. is probably real close to like mafioso well, on fam- or Vin Diesel-like <laughs> on family, <laughs> right? Like family over everything. Like well, they're probably like, they probably have like alert. They probably are listening to this because they probably have alerts about Harding. Well, and they're gonna, listening to me and they're like, well, that dude's dead. We're certainly going to tag them on Close social. stop. That but was there was, close there, stop. there is a little bit of a, uh, a conversation that is not necessarily amicable between the Warren G. Harding library and the family of his sole child out of wedlock. Oh, yeah. As far as what actually happened, what the story was, there's two totally different narratives. It was 2015 before they found out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost 100 years later. Well, 
It's August 3rd now, 1923, and Vice President Calvin Coolidge, he's sworn in as America's 30th president at his boyhood home in Plymouth Notch, Vermont, where he was vacationing at the time. Coolidge's father, who was a notary public, administered the oath of office. I'm a notary. You are? I am. Oh, that's I was cool. stamping everything. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, Look it at takes. You. It's a ten-question quiz. <laughs> that's all it takes. <laughs> Word quickly spread that Mrs. Harding, the last person to be with him that evening, had poisoned him to prevent him from being brought up on charges of corruption that soon engulfed his administration. A sensationalist book published in 1930 detailed oh, yeah. the allegations against her. Her refusal to allow an autopsy of the president only fed the rumors. Harding left the bulk of his estate, valued at $850,000, to his wife, Flossie. What's that now? 850000 probably, I don't know, close to $10 million, give or take. Not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. People responded lavishly to Harding's memorial contributions, as they did when President Garfield had died. Private donors contributed almost a million dollars to construct a massive memorial in his hometown of Marion, Ohio. Some 200,000 of it had came from children who had mailed in their pennies from across the country. That's the second time we've heard that concept. Yeah. Yeah. Dimes Uh, before, right? And Harrison? Yeah, it was Harrison. It was Dimes. It was the uh, statue that they made. Harding's body went on a train tour from the capital through many small towns and big cities before arriving in Marion, Ohio. The monument was still in the planning stages, so his casket was placed in the receiving vault instead. Funeral guests included President Coolidge, Chief Justice Taft, inventor Thomas Edison, and industrialist businessman Henry Ford and Harvey Firestone. Dude, Henry those Ford names has some. Those rock. names should Harvey sound familiar. Firestone. Harvey Firestone. <laughs> Of Firestone Tires in Akron, Ohio. And Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but when- also, like, do you think, in my brain, this is where Ford uh, cars started using Firestone Tires exclusively. Oh, like, they for- networked at Harding's <laughs> funeral. <laughs> <laughs> They're just eating antipasto <laughs> at his funeral. Be like, hey, He's like, you know, I've heard you've got good tires. I uh, do, actually. I'm very, very good tires. Have you heard these things this guy in Germany's been saying? Because mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting behind him. Mm-hmm. What, you what know, are you saying? What, what, who? You know the backstory about that? <laughs> oh, uh, F- Ford was an early, very big fan of Hitler. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did not know this. Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. know this. Yeah. Learn something new every time you not, host a podcast. Not, he was he was not the most up and up individual. Like mm, I did was, know that he was yeah. very early on. Like I don't know, this guy's got some good ideas. <laughs> He really just speaks his mind. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the First Lady Florence passed away a year after Warren, so she was placed in the receiving vault next to him. They were moved to their final resting place in 1927. Upon the president's death, the notoriously sharp-tongued Alice Roosevelt Longworth, you remember her, mm-hmm. reflected, quote, I think everyone must feel that the brevity of his tenure of office was a mercy to him and to the country. <laughs> Harding was not a bad man. He was just a slob. He had discovered what was going on around him, and that knowledge, the worry, the thought of the disclosures and shame that were bound to come undoubtedly undermined his health. One might say actually killed him, end quote. He admitted he was not probably the best like fit for the presidency. No. He actually has a quote. I am a man of limited talents from a small town. I do not seem to grasp that I am president. Mm. He could juggle. He could recite the alphabet backwards. Oh, so he could pass the DUI test. <laughs> and he was a notary. Yeah. He, he could walk a straight line with his foot over foot. Look what I can do. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. He was like, I'm not drunk, I swear. Z Y X. Well, had he lived, <laughs> he actually probably would have been impeached over the many scandals of his administration. So his early death actually saved him from all of that. Um, which is not uncommon to a couple of other presidents. Now listen, he was not without his merits. He advocated an anti-lynching bill to curb violence against black Americans. He established the forebearer of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, and he helped cut the unemployment rate by hiring the in half the guy that yeah. took some stuff off the top. Yeah, a little we're bit. supposed to give him credit for that. Well, he established what would become. I mean, let's face it: the VA has actually helped a lot of veterans. I know you're you're cynical at your core, and I love that about you. But the VA has helped out a lot of people. Okay. I mean, they put your buddy's femur bone in... <laughs> Daniel in, Sickles. Yeah, yeah, they put Daniel Sickles. Walter Reed, fem- yeah. I mean, the VA has done a lot of good. No organization, no president is perfect, Blaine. You know this as well Okay, as every veteran listening, email Ryan your thoughts on the VA. Oh, yeah. boy. Blaine at invets.org <laughs> is where you can find me. Harding failed in most historians' opinions to really impact our country simply because he saw the role of president as ceremonial. He saw himself neither as a caretaker nor as a leader. He just avoided issues whenever possible. According to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, Harding currently sits at number 37 below his Secretary of Commerce, Herbert Hoover, and above Millard Fillmore. Mm. Mm. You had forgotten about Millard Fillmore, no. hadn't you? Okay. So, so above bo- Fillmore, man, below I Hoover. S- gosh dang it. I Hoover gets such a bad rap. We'll yeah, talk about that Yeah, but that's later. pre-president, I, though. No, I. you're right. It's pre-president. You're right. I, you're right. I, I get it. I get you know. it. The the depression. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just say I'm? <laughs> can you just say I'm right one more time? Right? You're right, man. Oh, thanks, yeah. man. Believe I. Yeah. I love that as oh. well. All right. Really quickly before we dive into little-known facts, let's complete the sentence that we always do. Warren G. Harding is the reason the United States of America. Dot dot dot. Fill in the blank. Has our first poisoned president. Zachary Taylor. No, yeah, no, Zachary, was nope, you're wrong. Well, a lot us. of people think he was, but go ahead. Zachary Taylor was you're poisoned. Saying, you're saying that it's pretty shady that his wife didn't get the autopsy and might have been poisoned. Yeah. Okay. All right. yeah, yeah, I feel like... Clutch my podium. <laughs> Blaine, what about you? Nate, dog. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say, has the 40-hour work week. That was really? Oh, yeah, oh that, that was, was him? A, yeah, it was, yeah, that was all about him. Yeah, he hmm. regulated that. Regulating. And now, what's the new book? What's the uh, the 10-hour work week? That weirdo yeah. four hour economist guy. Four hour, four hour, four hour yeah. work week. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Timothy something. Dexter. Lord Timothy Dexter. <laughs> Speaking of that, hey, if you want those bonus episodes on Lord Timothy Dexter and other influential Americans, become a patron at so patreon.com. 40 hour work week, huh? Yeah. All right, let's dive into little known facts about Warren G. Harding. This one's actually about his wife, Florence. After she left her first husband, Florence made money giving piano lessons in Ohio. One of her students was actually her future husband, Warren G. Harding's sister. So she taught her Man, that future was sister-in-law piano. Not nearly as interesting. We're kind of scraping the bottom. I was hoping it was going to be like some super historical. Like she, her first client was Babe mm. Ruth. Yeah, but nope. Warren Harding's sister. Like that actually kind of makes sense. Like that's probably how she met him. They were a very musical couple, right? Because he was in a band the, playing right. the clarinet, playing the clarinet, the MCB, flute or trumpet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the forerunner to Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, actually all bands. Nope. He actually, little known fact: Warren G. Harding wrote twenty-five or six to four. Yeah. That's a <laughs> <laughs> a man selling ice cream. Oh, that's Saturday in the park. Yeah, no. sorry. 
25 or 6 to 4 is there's a lot of instrumental. There's a lot of horns. So the horn section gets it. <laughs> Sitting cross leg on the floor. <laughs> Slap on the biffs. As a senator, Harding was so proud of his speech against the League of Nations that he had a phonograph record made with his speech on one side and the song Beautiful Ohio on the other. He recorded it. There's a B-side to his speech. Yeah. It was either that or Hey Jude. (laughs) He recorded it in the studio of his friend, drumroll, Thomas Edison. Oh, yes, I did have a thing about that. And Thomas Edison, oh, if you fiddle remember. sticks. I thought I was going to be able to bring that up. If you remember, Thomas Edison was at his funeral. They were buddies. Oh, I thought you were going to say something very obvious about Thomas Edison there. He was funny. the first. If to you cl- remember, Thomas Edison invented. The- <laughs> <laughs> no, Thomas Edison was the first to mount Jerry. All <laughs> right. Um, what? Did, did what? he sing Beautiful Ohio? No, he sang 25 to 64. Um, <laughs> no, but on the B-side. I'm serious. I, I just love that he, he had a record that his <laughs> B-side is a song about Ohio. Yeah, it's a good question, Russ. Here, I'll sing it for you. Oh, okay. Uh, in the style of Peter Cetera. Chicago, Chicago yeah. <clears throat> As Peter Cetera. Can I do that? Naturally. Who's that? Peter Cetera. Chicago? Chicago? I am the who will oh, fight oh, okay. for yes. you? Yes, sing it. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful Ohio, where the golden grain dwarfs the lovely flowers. Cities rising high, <laughs> silhouette the sky, freedom is supreme. Mighty factories. <laughs> Sing to hum and tune so grand. <laughs> Beautiful Ohio, thy wonders are in view. Land where my dreams are come true. There you go. <laughs> I wish we would have come up with this shtick way <laughs> earlier in this. Oh, God, that's like, great. <laughs> I love that so much. Harding uh, was the first president to have a dedicated full-time speechwriter. I mean, Roosevelt and Wilson, gosh, great public speakers. So Harding was like, you know what? I'm going to hire a full-time speechwriter guy. He loved playing poker, and he held weekly games sure at the White House. Wyoming he, Street. He even bet and lost an entire set of official White House China. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he's I didn't like, know that. You know, I'll, I'll see your two cigars Malin. and I'll raise you. Got the China. John Adams, China. <laughs> uh, he was the first president to have a radio in the White House. And he was also the first president to officially visit Canada in 1923. You would think that that would have happened a long time prior. Yeah. But he stopped in Vancouver on his well, way back from Alaska. To, right? Like, because they couldn't fly to Alaska. Oh, I guess they could have taken a boat. They could have, yeah. Harding uh, was actually. He did more than any other president up to that point to preserve the U.S. Constitution. So check this out. At the time, the document had been in the State Department, in the files there, and it had been rotting away. And he had it placed Whoa. in a protective glass case. So if you've ever been to the National But Archives, he didn't Nick cage-proof it. 
That's right. With the bifocals invented by... Benjamin Franklin. Thank you very much. Warren G. Harding was directly influential in the preservation of the U.S. Constitution. That's really good. Okay. That's fascinating. All right. Well, hey, guys. Do you have any other uh, fascinating little-known facts? No, I want to know a lot more about that. I want to know, like, so we're, what, 150 years later. He's at least recognizing, like, no. this is one of, this is one oh, of the from, the from the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're 150 years later, and he's going... This is one of the new world's yeah. most important documents. Yeah. No matter which way you slice it. And it's just sitting in this room. In the like, State Department. That's wild. Yeah. That is wild. He's like, we should probably preserve this. Okay. For so posterity. you did one good thing. Yeah. Way to go, Warren G. Yeah. That was wow. That's incredible. Go ahead, Russ. For some reason, I still feel like it was Florence's idea. I feel like all of his ideas oh, yeah. were probably he Florence's was a piece ideas. Of yeah. 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 That's a good the point. foresight to see it and be like, yeah, no, we should probably do something about this. Yeah. Hmm. It's really wild. Nobody thought of that. Like you would yeah. think that seems like something Teddy would have done. Well, not even Teddy, but even the guys who wrote it should have yeah. been like, hey, we should probably protect this. Yeah. 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 But still, 20 years <laughs> earlier, you yeah. would have thought at least 20 years earlier. Yeah, sure. That of all people, Roosevelt would have been like, hey, we need to bully this thing. Up. Yeah. Let's conserve this like, thing. Yeah. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Presequential Podcast brought to you by Greek's Pizzeria. Thanks also to our other sponsors, Austin Bowman and Caliber Home Loans and Chop Chop Barbershop, as well as the Indie Art Press makers of our world-famous Mastodon t-shirt, which you can get at ryansongs.com. Hey, follow us on at Presequential on all the socials. Please leave a review because that really helps us get in the ears of other history lovers. Our next episode on 30th President Calvin Coolidge will be released on Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. Don't forget, sign up. Become a patron of this podcast at patreon.com slash presequential. You'll get episodes early and ad-free. And if you sign up to become a tier two patron at $10 a month, you will get our exclusive bonus episodes sent to you as soon as we, and by we, I mean Russ, edits them. We hope you enjoyed episode 29, The Regulator of the Presequential Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye.